Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. Welcome to Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dean Gerson, and back by popular demand after rave reviews on our previous show, we are talking to specialist psychiatrist, expert in ADHD, Dr. Jeeva. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. And uh, today we'll be exploring adult ADHD. And uh, I think a lot of people think that ADHD is only associated with children who are naughty and have learning disabilities and not doing well in class. Why don't you tell us when adults diagnosed with ADHD and why they're diagnosed with ADHD or how they're diagnosed with ADHD? Uh, okay, thank you very much. I have some new other information for you. So I hope the last 10 minutes of the show you give it to me to go to the new stuff okay. and, uh, and so that, because uh, I, I don't want to take the whole session on that. Uh, my, ma- my main focus today would be where are all these ADHD people? Why are, what's going wrong? Because only 10% of adult ADHD are treated, are diagnosed and treated. So where are the other 90%? Something must be happening and we must find them. We must uh, uh, rake them up and bring them to the forefront and treat them. Okay, we talk, we, just to summarize the past, we said ADHD is a neurobiological condition, highly genetic. It's 9 to 11% in children. Then 70% goes to adulthood, and of those 70%, 82% develop comorbidity. Comorbidity means additional illnesses like depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, substance abuse, and, uh, of course, uh, uh even uh, other problems in relationships and things like that. So what happens that there's a changes in the symptoms from childhood to adulthood. When you, in the early parts of ADHD, there's uh, three symptoms, hyperactivity, impulsivity, and inattention. <clears throat> and as you go on the years from the age of five to say up to matric, the hyperactivity, impulsivity gets less. The <clears throat> And so... The, they get into trouble early part of the school years, and then the latter part, uh, it seems that it has changed, or literally question mark is that they've outgrown it. But the inattention, because 60, there are three types of ADHD. There's the combined type, there's the hyperactive impulsive type, and the inattentive type. The combined type is the main kind, there's 65% of the kids. The, comb- uh, the hyperactive impulsive is only 13 to 15%, and the <coughs> inattentive is 25%. So we're dealing mainly with the combined type. So as we hitting matric or first year university, the hyperactivity impulsivity gets less, which we like, but the inattention doesn't, it gets less, but doesn't get better. It just gets less, but it's still symptomatic. So first year university, the wheels fall off. So we have problems, the soft science, time management, organization, procrastination, financial management, anxiety and depression. So those are the symptoms that we're going to be dealing with in adolescent and adulthood. But what happens is that uh, for various reasons, number one, the symptoms change from the active one to the to the ones that I just described. So most people think you've outgrown it, and so there's no diagnosis and no treatment. So they go on to adult life, and they go into three parts of their life. They either go to work as a, a young adult, or they go to university where they drop out, or, <clears throat> or they get married and they have problems. So three areas of their life get affected. <clears throat> the work life or study life, the home life, and, and the social life. So 
we have these 90% of adults that are not treated because they think they've outgrown it. Only 15% of them <coughs> sort of outgrow it, or what I call they accommodate. So 85% go into adulthood, but they're not diagnosed and not treated. And that is the one we want to talk about today, if you don't mind. So how do they start presenting to us in adulthood? First of all, they bounce around from job to job, and most of us, the start of job, we start of start of settling down and get into it for after six months. But these people bounce on and off from one job to the other. Secondly, they have emotional dysregulation, which is a term of ADHD, rather new, saying they are volatile, they're moody, they're upset, and they they go up and down like a, like a sneeze, and then they come settle down again. Or they are super sensitive. There's a new term called. RSD, rejection sensitive dysphoria. The term means we are very sensitive that we're going to be rejected and because of that we get sad, sad is dysphoria. So ADHD are super sensitive to criticism, to demands, to being put down, to let, they think they're going to be let down. So this, that's a very big part of the uh, ADHD diagnosis which is not in the DSM-5 which is the Bible of psychiatry, it's clinically it's there. And lastly they have big, big problems with sleep because 50% of the patients uh, the elder, uh, kids don't sleep, so if you, if you misdiagnose it, if you don't treat it, they go into adulthood with these problems. So that is a summary of what we're going to go on to next. Is that okay, Doc? Perfect. That sounds okay. great. I'm loving listening. Yeah. So the, the main thing that I've been itching to talk about for years is about this 90% of adult ADHD, which I treat very successfully, and they are usually missed. Where are they? Why are they missed? And, and, and the, uh, the, the title to this being, uh, being, being missed is where, 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 where have they been? Where, where are you going to find them? Where, where are they lost? Where are, uh, somewhere there? So number one, look at the school dropouts. Um, they say that many of the uh, ADHD, 35% won't finish school and many of them become dropouts and many, 40% of the ADHD Forty uh, percent of the dropouts in first-year university who are on bursaries and scholarships, they usually they drop out, they fail, and they are ADHD that are not diagnosed and not treated. So if we picked up these uh, patients or these uh, uh, students and treated them, they will still maintain their scholarships and bursaries, and it's a big advantage for the families and parents and for the kids, but unfortunately, <clears throat> they are not diagnosed. So I'm going through a series of different uh, places where these ADHD that we haven't been diagnosed, where they're hiding. <clears throat> Number two, the unemployed or the inconsistently employed and the un underachieving. So the unemployed is that they have difficulty with getting jobs. When they go for interviews, they are a bit brash, they are a bit abrupt, they tell the interviewer nonsense, they just uh, go at it. Further is that uh, they have difficulty waking up or they have difficulty uh, coming to work on time. So usually they're very soon, they're worn, disciplined and fired. And uh, thirdly, the underachieving type of person who has difficulty with jobs. So Hallowell, the father of ADHD, he calls it chronic, unexplained underachievement. So in the areas of a child, there are three areas, there's a problem, and the same areas go on to adulthood. In a child, there's a okay. problem. Dr. Dr. Shabir, can we just take a quick ad break quickly and we'll go on to those three areas of underachievement. We'll be back sure. after this. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back 
Steve, this is Kemir Komanda. I'm your host, Dean Gerson, and we are speaking to psychiatrist and ADHD expert, Dr. Shabir Jiva, and we're just about to talk about three things. What are those three things, Dr. Jiva, you can just remind us, please? Yeah, you, you must guide me. I've got more material than time, so you, you've no, got to play. It. Because I want, I, I want to show you later on how to diagnose the criteria, what is six symptoms, and I also want to show you the new information. Okay, so in a child... The three areas that's affected is at school, and that's where you usually get a complaint, or you get uh, at home, they're fighting with the siblings, and lastly, the boys don't like them, they don't have friends. But transposing this to adulthood, you have problems in your work where you're about to get fired, or you have problems in your marriage, you either unhappily married or having an affair, or something's going wrong there, or lastly, the community knows that you're a little brash and they don't like you. So it could be any and many of these. But many, many people have ADHD uh, traits. But every ADHD trait is not ADHD diagnosis. There has to be impairment. So if, if you have any of the symptoms of ADHD, which we talked about before, but there's impairment either in your school life or home life or uh, socially, or let's go to adults where we today, if you're in trouble at work or your marriage or basically in a community, then it has to be treated. Then the impairment, it becomes a disorder. It's just not a trait, it's a disorder. So then... Very many people, Hallowell says the whole world is ADHD, but they all have ADHD traits, but everybody is not ADHD in diagnosis or the condition, only there is impairment. But if you, if you, if you have uh, consoled yourself and you have compensated and found mechanisms to deal with it yourself, then it's okay. But if you have a problem where you can't go forward, that's the problem. So let's go on to the other places where these people have been hiding. You find the adult ADHD in workmen compensation claims where they get injury and they get accidents and they don't get well and they're constantly busy with their WCB. Next is they're in smoking cessation clinics and alcohol abuse program because 50 to 60 percent of the untreated adult ADHD end up in substance abuse, drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, and uh, any other substances. So they're usually found in a substance abuse program programs. And sadly enough, most substance abuse programs treat the substance abuse, but they don't treat the ADHD. And more than 50% of those patients have adult ADHD or they have ADHD. So if you treat the ADHD, then the, the risk of addiction gets lower. But unfortunately, they don't do that or everywhere. That's a problem. They're more busy with the straightforward drug abuse. and not. So if you have a family member or a relative or somebody who's persistently going back to substances, then check for ADHD because that is, in ADHD, we have a lower level of dopamine and noradrenaline. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that works on, uh, on, on, on the pleasure center of the brain and helps you focus. But it also helps you when you feel bored, lonely, tired, and fed up, you need to feel lacquer. To feel lacquer is the need for dopamine. So dopamine is needed, and the other thing that is needed is no adrenaline, which is the brakes of the Ferrari. So these two things are needed because Hallowell says there's Ferrari brain and bicycle brakes, so you have to tighten the brakes, as we said last time, and put in new sure. brakes. So we'll you upgrade the brakes, yeah. Yes, upgrade the brakes, uh, definitely. And then you find, uh, so impulsivity is one of the, uh, one of the criteria of ADHD, so you find them in, in, in uh, they are gamblers, you find them in casinos, and then uh, impulsivity also leads to young girls getting pregnant prematurely because they don't use condoms or they sexually just get aroused and without thinking about it they get pregnant and then the thing is that um, they don't have health care or they don't have money for health care so they have to have a termination or more than likely they have an uh, adoption. Now ADHD is three times more common in adopted kids than non-adopted kids and it's also higher in twins. So whenever you see a family coming with twins 
or family coming with an adopted child, uh, look for ADHD. There will be some sort of ADHD uh, inside there. Further, ADHD have problems managing money. So you usually find them in credit bureaus or wherever they're going bankrupt or wherever there's money problems. They know how to make money because they have the gift of the gap, but they don't know how to keep the money because they wheel and deal all the time. They're always making money. There's always money rolling through their hands, but they don't keep it. They don't know how to save money. Next is that, uh, of course, relationship is the biggest problem in adult ADHD. So you'll find that very high amount, uh, numbers are separated and divorced, and you find them in marital therapy clinics. They are, they are all found there. Next is, unfortunately, 40% of the kids in jail are opposition-defined disorder. So it's very high in the judicial system and prison that you find ADHD undiagnosed, untreated. And it's sad if they were treated very young and... Uh, manage, they wouldn't have landed up in jail. The other big symptom of ADHD is driving very fast. Of course, you find spe- you find them in court with speeding fines and driving uh, problems, and this is also a big part of ADHD. So these are some of the areas that they've been hiding. The other last few things is that uh, it can present a dif- uh, as different things. It can masquerade under their bodily aches and pains further. It can come across as anxiety, mood disorders. And in North America in the winter, you get them as sad. Sad is socially affective disorder. When it gets very cold, they get very depressed. So in North America, around Canada in October, they start getting more depressed. So we increase the antidepressant. Further, the, the, the uh, sleeping problem is a big, big, big problem. I told you that 50% of the ADHD kids don't sleep. So if they are not managed, it, go, it goes on to adulthood and and uh, we have a lot of problems. So most of the doctors would use sleeping tablets. Because ADHD have addictive uh, uh, personality traits, we don't use sleeping tablets. We might use atypical uh, antidepressants, like a sedating antidepressant, like trazodone, or we use atypical antipsychotic. But strangely enough, if everything else fails in the sleep problems, then strangely enough, they've given many ADHD adults uh, Ritalin to sleep. Now, Ritalin is a stimulant, and paradoxically, it helps you to sleep because it controls the ADHD. But nobody would believe that because we are not used to that. We thought Ritalin to stimulant, and you'll be flying. But you will not be flying. It will help sleep. So that's worth uh, trying. And lastly, um, uh, about uh, health, uh, health uh, healthy and unhealthy behaviors, exercise is very important. At the age of 11, these kids have dental problems, so self-care is important. And we have to be very careful more in women, especially about obesity, because obesity is linked to ADHD. And lastly, the impulsivity, and that is related to sexually transmitted diseases. So we have, we have so many different places where they are hiding. And these are the patients that I want parents and doctors and to look for, rather than the everyday ADHD that you expect uh, that it will be happening. So whom should we screen? Doc, is it okay when I go on? Everybody must be screened. Yeah, I'm happy for you okay. to join. Everybody so, must be screened. The patient, patients presenting with family history of ADHD or children with ADHD because it's 82% genetic. So if, you're, if a child's got it, then look at the parents. If the parents got it, the child's got it. If it's not birth trauma, then it's highly, highly uh, genetic. Then if there's patients who have a treatment-resistant depression, because most doctors would give the depressed patient uh, SSRI, serotonin-blocking drugs, so SSRIs do not work well on ADHD, depression, and anxiety because in ADHD, there's a shortage, as I told you, of dopamine and noadrenaline. And serotonin, yeah. SSRIs SSRI being used serotonin, so that's not helping. 
if there's bipolar disorder that's not getting well or anxiety disorder that's not getting well, Hallowell says, treat the anxiety with a stimulant first before you go and give them SSRIs or something else. Don't go for the... Can you just, remi- can you just remind us how the, how the stimulant increases the so- serotonin and noradrenaline? Yeah, the, the stimulants, example, just take Ritalin or Concerta or Contramal, whichever one you like, it, it blocks the reuptake of your own natural dopamine and noradrenaline. So you, uh, if you don't use a stimulant, it loses it. So whatever, normally in a patient that does not have ADHD, there's 100% full dopamine and noradrenaline at the neurotransmitter level, at the nerve, trans, nerve tract level. But in patients who have ADHD, we only have uh, 60% of dopamine and noradrenaline at the synapse, at the junction where they cross over. So when we don't uh, take medication, when the impulse comes to the site of crossing over, it can't cross over because there's no bridge. So when we give uh, Ritalin, Concerta, the new vibrance, or whichever one you tend to use, it, it blocks the reuptake or the loss of your own natural dopamine and no adrenaline. So that if it blocks it at the, the, the synapse, which is the gap, there's a full level of dopaminoidrenaline, and when the impulse comes down, it crosses over, so it makes it easier to cross over, and then you don't have to look for other ways to increase dopaminoidrenaline. If you do not uh, get treatment, then you'll f- find other ways. What are the other ways? The, uh, the, unhealthy, uh, the healthy ways is exercise, protein diet, meditation and medication. The not so healthy is chocolate, coffee, coke, Red Bull, drugs, alcohol, tiger wood, sex, all these things that make you feel lacquer increases the dopamine and noradrenaline. So then they repeatedly go back to the drugs or they repeatedly go back to the chocolate cake to get more dopamine and noradrenaline. That is why uh, we have to treat. So we are, we screen these people who have a, a treatment-resistant medical condition with the drug abuse or drug-dependent patients. We must screen them. Kids and university students that are not doing well and not reaching their potential, we have to screen them. And even at work, when people are expected to do better than they are doing, we should screen them for ADHD and anybody that has accidents or any motor vehicle uh, problems. And lastly, forgetfulness is a big part. Most of the adult ADHD patients in Canada, when I used to give them appointments, they never get the first appointment of the day at 9 o'clock. They turn up at 10 o'clock, so you would rather give them an 11 o'clock appointment and tell them your appointment is at 10.30, so at least they can come half an hour late. Because if you give them an on-time appointment, you're never, you're never going to get it. Okay, fine. What about stuff like Wellbut- Wellbutrin for treating uh, ADHD? Does that help with all the SNRIs? How does yes, that help? Uh, yeah. The Wellbutrin is an excellent drug. It's Brupropion or Wellbutrin. And Wellbutrin was marketed uh, many years ago solely as an antidepressant because it, it works mainly on the dopamine. It increases the dopamine that you need. So it works on the dopamine which you need and also works on the noadrenaline which you don't, I mean the serotonin that you don't need very much. So Wellbutin is an excellent drug. The good things about Wellbutin is it loses weight, it helps you focus, it makes you frisky or sexy. But the bad thing about uh, Wellbutin is it can make you a bit angry. If it does not make you angry, you're on your way because it does the same focus that a Ritalin Concerta would do. So if you don't like stimulants or if you can't take stimulants, then Wellbutin is an excellent adult ADHD choice uh, in the antidepressant group. So usually we use a stimulant for patients who need focusing. We use Wellbutin where there's depression and focus problem. And if the behavior is terrible or they're impulsive or they're active or they have uh, anger management issues, then we give a combination of the breaks. The breaks is the epilum and respirador or what we call the honey 
So that's what we use. But there are some questions, uh, some, uh, there's six screener questions for you to know if you've got adult ADHD or not. And if you say yes to more than four of these, then more than likely you should be suspicious that you have adult ADHD. Number one, this is called the ASRS, Adult Self-Report Scale. Number one, how often do you have trouble wrapping up the final detail, details of a project once the challenging, exciting parts are done? I don't know. So it means when you get to the boring part like paperwork and filing and that, yes. if you have trouble, then you give yourself one. You need four out of six. Number two, okay. how often do you have difficulty getting things in order when you have a, to do a task that requires organization? Now, classically, the Bura said this is a Jermakar question. So if you, if you are Jermakar most of the time or some of the time, then you give yourself another uh, score. Number three, yes. how how often do you have problems remembering appointments or obligations? Very many people, uh, patients, patients come for their appointments a day later at the right time. I don't know how that happens. I know I do, I know, because I'm ADHD, so we tend to forget things. Too, number, four, yeah. number four, when you have a task that requires a lot of thought, how often do you avoid or delay getting started? Now, procrastination is the hallmark of ADHD in adults. There's a triangle I mentioned last time, paralyzing procrastination, Low self-esteem and boredom, those are the clinical three things that you find in our adult ADHD patients. Number five, number five and six are active symptoms. The first four were low energy. Number five is how often do you fidget or squirm with your hands or feet when you have to sit down for a long time? So you can, you know, when you're watching TV, you're busy with your laptop or you're busy with other things. Number six, how often do you feel very active and compelled to do things as you would, as if you were driven by a motor. So this is high energy. So there are six questions there. If you get four out of six, then more than likely you might have, you might have ADHD, then you need a full assessment. And that is. Okay, do, you have a space, do, you have a, do you have a space for me tomorrow? Because I think I answered yes for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so anytime, every time. But I might arrive a day late. I might come on Wednesday. <laughs> no, we expect that. Okay, so how, how do these patients that are diagnosed, how do they adapt themselves? First of all, they have unhealthy lifestyle, they eat a lot of chocolate and don't exercise, and then they have financial problems, they have a lot of debt and, debt and they're impulsive. And if you're in America and you're sitting alone in Nebraska or somewhere where it's lonely and depressing at 2 a.m., and on the Internet there's something for sale and you're going to win $100,000, you just buy the ticket or there's something to buy and you've got nothing else to do, so you impulsively spend all your money and then you get in financial debt. Further, at work also you'll have occupational problems. You're either rude to the people or you don't pick up cues or you don't remember what they said and you don't make notes. Very, very important is accidental injuries and driving. It's very important. If your son is having repeated accidents, you better check out for ADHD because uh, we can't focus. We are distracted. We're on the cell phone, which is uh, terrible, but the cell phone distracts you a lot. So this is a big issue. Next is uh, they would have risky sexual behavior, so early uh, pregnancy, early parenthood, and as I said before, STDs. And next is uh, substance abuse, smoking, caffeine, substance abuse, and a lot of legal difficulties in the judicial system. We mentioned all this. And, and lastly, relationship and, and family issues. So these are... Something, sorry, can I ask you something? You, you mentioned do. earlier on that you've got to watch out for your children. What is the youngest age that you would treat for? A patient of mine said to me the other day, no, having anger issues, they took him for assessment to someone, they said he's only, I think, six. They said they'll treat when he gets into grade one, pre-grade was 
question okay. to you. And when would you start treating with the uh, okay. treating? That's a excellent question. In the past, before DSM-5 came out, we were diagnosing from the age of six. Then when DSM-5, which is the Bible of psychiatry, came out about six, seven years ago, we, we dropped it to the five, uh, age of five. But two years ago, the American Pediatric Association brought in new criteria. They said that if you have the symptoms earlier between the age of three to five, three, four, and five, you can, you can diagnose them with ADHD. But the first line of treatment is behavior therapy for anger and other management issues. Then if the behavior therapy is not available or behavior therapy does not work, you can go on to your medication like the stimulants. So we have gone as far down as three years of age. And today, at the end of today's session, I'm going to bring out some new facts that will show why it is important to treat these children or to treat these adults and to treat them early. But they've gone as far back as three years, yeah. Okay, and what about the maximum age? Can I send you a 70-year-old who seems like he's been undiagnosed his whole life? Yeah, I, I, I'm in my late 60s. I still take my medication for the last 28 years. And you can diagnose them at any age. Why? At that age, you get depressed, you get anxious, and the depression looks like dementia. And it might just be depression that's not treated for the ADHD depression, and we've been treated for, for dementia. So it's very important. We've got from 4 to 84 years of age of patients, all ages, and it just makes your life easier. Hallowell says you're not blind. It's like glasses. You put on the glasses, you can see clearer. Otherwise, you'll be squinting more and more and more all your life. You can, you won't die. You can squint and go to the end. But why should you be squinting if there are glasses that you can use and you can see clearer? So that, that is the, yeah. the reason of it. Uh, improves quality of life tremendously. Yes, definitely, definitely. And, uh, um, so, uh, even it, uh, it goes on to medical condition. I said, I told you it goes on to anxiety, yeah. depression, substance abuse, and also, the, uh, uh, other personality traits like opposition defiant and all that in kids. And right now, uh, CBD is a quite uh, big issue. And uh, the two big issues in ADHD in the world is uh, uh, screen time, as we talked about last time, and CBD uh, issues. But um, screen time, as we mentioned last time, that has to be screened and parents have to check it and doesn't mean it's used as babysitting. And sure. there's, an, there's an app. What about talk- in adults? What about, what about screen time in adults? Yeah, screen time in adults is equally important, and the maximum they give during COVID is two hours a day. But strangely enough, adults spend hours and hours on screen time, and uh, it, it leads to, as uh, as the Germans say, digital dementia. So they tend to forget and not recall things, so it is qu- uh, quite an issue. But the thing is, adults have compensated very much. They've covered up in their lifestyle and things, so it looks like they're successful doesn't mean that if you are successful, successful, you cannot be ADHD. That's the furthest from the truth. The doctors and lawyers in America who earn, who are ADHD, they earn 22% less than the colleagues because they don't cross the T's and they don't dot their I's. So they're successful, they're doing well, but they're just not careful. They need somebody to count the beans, to check the things for them, and they don't do that. So being successful doesn't mean you can't be ADHD. So don't only look at uh, look at it for, uh, to the losers or the failures. Look at the ones that are also successful, but they could make their life easier with, uh, without uh, all the stress. So that is quite an issue. Okay. All right. We're going to take another short break. We'll be back after this. This is Medical Monday, brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. 
Welcome back to Discare Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dean Gerson, and we are speaking to psychiatrist and ADHD expert, Shabir Jeeva. Um, can we talk about now maybe the drugs um, in adults? We, you were mentioned last week, went quite in detail about Ritalin or methylphenidate and the long-acting compounds. Is that the same that you would put an, uh, an adult on? You'd start, if it was ADHD, would you start them straight on a long-acting um, stimulant? No, uh, the, the thing is that uh, all the drugs that are used in children can be used in adults. But in adults, because of the age, you, you can use your antidepressants also. So a typical potpourri, hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, sorry. A typical potpourri no of medication um, is that you use whichever stimulant you're going to decide. And uh, we prefer the long acting than the short acting. So I, 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 I appeal to the family doctors to start with the long acting. It's the same medication, but it's, made, it's been made safer and longer, and it's easier to use, as example, Contramile or Concerta, whatever you like. Then uh, half of them, a uh, very high percentage, will have depression and anxiety, so you might need a stimulating antidepressant. So if you don't want a pure stimulant and they're depressed, you can use something like Wellbutrin. But behind it, if they're impulsive or they're active and they get angry and they have problems with uh, behavior and emotional dysregulation, then you might have to add the brakes in adults too so we, uh, for the temper and anger. So we, we add uh, Epilum and Respirol or the generic of it like Zoxodone and Novelpro. And uh, it's excellent. The brakes does not help you focus. The focus does not help you brakes. And together with the medication, you need the coaching and the holistic treatment. But the medication is a rel- uh, a very safe and it's, it's, it's rather cheap. And as I said last time, we're getting a new one in the country in a few months by then. So things are looking up in a ve- very good way. And it's very important that we have to treat these children and adults. So if you use SSRIs, the serotonin blocking drugs, that won't help. You need a dual action antidepressant like the Wellbutrin or Vendafexin, which is half of Vendafexin. Uh, works on noadrenaline and it, it works on serotonin, so it's got the noadrenaline part. And the new uh, uh, drug, Arisify, Abilify, is excellent because it works on all three neurotransmitters. So if you have to choose a, a mild antidepressant for ADHD or for any condition you don't know the diagnosis properly, it's better to use a wide-spectrum uh, antidepressant so it touches all three neurotransmitters, the dopamine, the noadrenaline, and serotonin. If you just use a serotonin-blocking agent, uh, antidepressant, like anyone that you like, Supramol, Supralex, it won't work on dopamine or adrenaline, which you need for ADHD. So don't be afraid, what, afraid to use okay. the combination of the stimulant and the antidepressant together. There's no harm. Sorry, go ahead. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. You were, to- oh, um, we're talking about you want, uh, adding Risperdal. I mean, my recollection of Risperdal was given to the schizophrenic or bipolar patients. When I was oh, yeah. a, a student or an intern in psychiatry, so does do do we not have any side effects from the respirol or blunted affect or changes in the person's personality, or okay. or does not okay. do that? Uh, that's an excellent question because every patient and every pharmacist we have this problem. Seventy percent of the ADHD kids, the main comorbidity is opposition defiant disorder. There's anger and temper and and, and not listening to the parents, and uh, the main reason that the teacher throw, uh, throws them. Uh, out of uh, out of school, and they have symptoms like temper, argument, refusal to listen to parents, blames others. So they need the brakes of the Ferrari. The stimulant is not the brakes. So what are the brakes? The brakes are the atypical antipsychotics, example, Respirol, and the other side is uh, Epilum or Novelpro, which is a mood stabilizer. The Epilum, Novelpro is used for epilepsy, but we don't have epilepsy in my office. We treat opposition-defiant disorder. 
ODD, Opposition Defiant Disorder, is the main comorbidity of ADHD. This is the main reason they get thrown out of school. The t- parents are not aware of it. The teachers are not aware of it. And most doctors are not aware of it. So if you use a combination of epilim and respirol, and, uh, you said the side effect of blunting. Yeah, the side effect is minimal. We, we monitor it, uh, see them regularly. We monitor it, we increase it, and results are dramatic. The success rate of treating opposition defiant disorder with epilim and respirol or any uh, generic of the same thing is hun- 101%. It is more successful than treating the overall ADHD. So the success rate is very high and it's very important because these are the kids that are thrown out of school. These are the kids that land up in jail. These are the kids that impulsively steal and get into trouble. So opposition defined disorder is a big problem in schools and it's a big problem in, in uh, ADHD. And 70% of the kids get it. And if you don't treat it in adulthood, the temper and anger that your fathers and uncles and people had and the neighbors hitting their wives and all that stuff, that all comes from more than likely from op- opposition defined disorder that goes on to uh, adulthood for, in different ways presenting the anger. Okay, and so now you said in your last 10 minutes you wanted to speak about new stuff. Okay. Start talking about the new stuff. Yeah, yeah, this is very startling. Uh, Russell Barkley, who is one of the fathers of ADHD, uh, did a 20-year study uh, on a group of ADHD patients and he followed them. And he, he said that uh, as a key risk factor, in prim- uh, there's a premature death in, among adults. In his study, it showed that people with ADHD have a lower life expectancy and more than twice as likely to die prematurely as those without the disorder. So this is scary and startling. This is relatively new stuff. Accidents were flagged as the most common cause in these people and the risk, uh, and also the relative risk of dying prematurely was shown much higher in women than in men. So what does that mean in, uh, mean in everyday uh, language? In a child, that has been treated for ADHD and then stop treatment in adulthood or in adolescence, uh, there is a, re- there's a redu- there are two criteria. There's a reduction of healthy life, uh, by, uh, a, a reduction of health, uh, of healthy life by, uh, uh, 10 years and the reduction of life expectancy by 8 years. So you can just see, well, this is scary stuff. Is that stuff. from accidental? Is that from accidental? No, no, comorbidities. no. Comorbidities, everything together. Okay. Then uh, in an adult who had treatment or uh, not adequate treatment or no treatment, the reduction of life expectancy, uh, 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 the reduction of healthy life is 13 years and the reduction of life expectancy is 10 years. So this is very scary type of stuff because it affects the longevity of our of our being and we have to that's why it's important to treat these children early or treat them because if you don't treat them there's a uh, there's a you can see what's happening about reduction of healthy life and they get into thing they get uh, the part of the thing that kills them is accident is the main one then obesity and diabetes and drugs and alcohol and other substance abuse so all these things uh, together uh, make the end result quite bad. So definitely there's a reduction of life expectancy and it's scary that it's a reduction of healthy life. So they're unhealthy in the, in the latter part of the year. So because of that, we have to start rethinking that maybe we should coerce parents and doctors to treat earlier aggressively rather than just uh, let the end come 
so unexpectedly and so negatively. What do you say, Doc? Okay, we're just going to take another short ad break and then we're going to, we're going to wrap up. Give me one second. Thank you. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Welcome back to Discam Medical Monday, our final five minutes with psychiatrists and ADHD expert, Dr. Shalvi Ajiva. What do you want to leave our, our listeners uh, with, <coughs> Doc? What do you want to tell them? Um, what's your message to the general community about ADHD in adults? Yeah, <clears throat> if you have a family member or a, a relative or a spouse or somebody that's not getting well as far as depression or anxiety or any condition, or they're repeatedly getting into financial and other trouble, screen for ADHD. Secondly, the ADHD is not Ritalin. ADHD, is, ADHD, there's various kinds of treatment. There's holistic, there's medication which is stimulating and non-stimulating. The big advantage of a medication, it works fast. Within six weeks or so, you get an improvement, whereas the other treatment takes about six months. So that is the thing. Treatment is necessary. Early treatment is very important. And today you heard that they even affect life expectancy and life and health expectancy. This is scary stuff. So please get your kids and adults assessed. But mainly today's talk is adult ADHD. And in your family and friends, people are not getting well and not achieving as they should. Please have them assessed because Hallowell says chronic, unexplained underachievement. Chronic is lifelong, unexplained. You do everything, but you don't do as well as you expected to or you could. So please don't think Ritalin, think ADHD and think early treatment because it affects your complete lifestyle. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Jeeva, for joining us again today. 101.9 High FM, Disky Medical Mondays. We'll hopefully have you again back soon. Thank you for joining us. Have thank a you. great thank you. Thank you. Today's subject was a bit dry, but it's very important. I thought we should No, it wasn't it. dry. Absolutely loved it, and we love having you on, and uh, you're very entertaining. <laughs> Guest chair, thank you so much. You're welcome. We'll see you tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>